This is the Shoot Once Podcast. I'm Frank Walker. Welcome to the Shoot Once Podcast, a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. And I'll be honest with you guys, as we're doing the show tonight, uh, I've got one eye on the Senators-Islanders game. Uh, <laughs> all these games that are important to the Jacks at this point, it is hard not to do all the scoreboard watching and game watching that I can. It's going real well right now with only three minutes to go, but maybe I jinxed it. I hope not. After that Jackets game against Calgary, the, the fear of jinxing things is... Uh, anyway, we're going to start off with something fun tonight. Uh, we've got a contest that we want everybody to know about. And it's a little interesting. We're partnering with some some pretty cool names in the hockey community. Um, this is a contest we're doing in coordination with uh, Tankathon and Cool Hockey. So, uh, CoolHockey.com, where you can buy all your all your fun, cool uh, hockey gear and what you need there, as far as being a, a fan of all your Blue Jacket stuff. Now, how the contest works? Um, you go to Tankathon.com/nhl. You sl- you sim the lottery to create a 15-team simulation. You screenshot your favorite outcome. Um, at that point, you must... Uh, oh, one second here. I'm getting clear on all the rules myself. Uh, yeah, submit your entry by commenting with it. Um, submit your entry. Um, and you will need to be following at Tankathon, at Cool Hockey, and at HockeyPodNet. So you need to be following all three Twitter accounts for the people involved with what's going on here. And as I said, you don't want to jinx it. The Islanders just scored to make it 4-3. So, uh, this is just my luck today. But yeah, you, um... Yeah, essentially you post the, uh, yeah, visit tankathon.com, send the lottery, screenshot the 15-team outcome you would like, post your entry, uh, with and tag a friend and retweet it there. Uh, and again, you need to follow at HockeyPodNet, at Tankathon, and at CoolHockey. The winner gets a $200 gift card, courtesy of the folks at CoolHockey.com, so really fun. Uh, again, you can kind of create and then delete your entry as much as you need to. Something to keep in mind, we are looking if somebody can go 15 for 15. And if there are multiple winners, uh, and by 15 for 15 we mean the right order of all the teams, if there's multiple winners, then there'll be a random drawing to determine it. So you might want to wait till closer to the end of the season to get your final one in. They are taking entries up until April 8th at 11.59 p.m. So uh, it has been a frustrating week in Blue Jackets land. Um, we're starting to get some guys back from injury, which is good. I, I don't know if that's going to be enough for us at this point, but it's it's good to at least see it. Looking at Don Lashushin's rankings, the Blue Jackets are up to a 24% chance to make the playoffs. Now, part of where this is frustrating for Blue Jackets fans to look at Dom Lashushin's rankings is he's got the Blue Jackets projected to finish with 92 points, which gives them a 24% chance to make the playoffs. But teams who, uh, the one, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, he has projected to finish with 90.6 points and a 48% chance to make the playoffs. So it, it's it's what life is being in the in the murderer's row that is the Metropolitan Division. Speaking of that division, I'm pulling up the standings right now. And again, these can be changing by the moment since games are still happening for me. I'm trying to just check all the scores, make sure we are good with where we're at. So the... All right, the Flyers already beat the Hurricanes 4-1, which we are in a strange world when we're rooting for the Flyers, but... You do what you got to do at this point in the in the game. 
So the Islanders lose, keeps them at 78 points in 65 games played. So their Blue Jackets still have the number one wild card spot at 79 points. Oh, no, the Islanders didn't lose. Not yet, anyway. Uh, I just said it. Did I jinx it again? Did I double jinx? Oh, no. Oh, this is so bad, guys. Okay. This is me live during games. It's a horrible experience. My wife hates it when I watch games. Um, the Carolina loss. So that keeps them at 75 points, three games back of the jacket. So it, it's starting to make the ability of the Blue Jackets to hang on to that lead more feasible. Because at this point, if Carolina wins all three games in hand, that gets them up to 81 points. So that would only be the Blue Jackets being back by two points. So that's not... That's doable. We're in a place, and it's considering especially that we play them once more. And Ottawa just finished off the center, the Islanders 4-3. Awesome. So the Islanders at 66 games played will have 78 points. So there'll be the one-point difference there. Um, so that's great. So for all the things that have gone wrong this season, the fact that we are sitting here on March 5th and the Blue Jackets are still in the number one wildcard spot is just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing at this point. Anyway, uh, getting into where things are going. Now, when you're watching the Blue Jackets currently, it has been... These last few games have been something of a of a trial, I would say, because you're just... When you hear the players talk, the players will never say things like, oh, well, you know, we've, we've, uh, you know, we're getting tired or this or that is happening. As you shouldn't. I mean, players, the players, you know, they don't want to give excuses. They don't want to be seen as saying, oh, well, you know, this is why this happened and this is why this happened. Because they just want to go out there and play and, and win games. It's up to us to analyze it. Because if you're a player, we've talked about this before. The The mindset of everyone involved with hockey is, a di- is different. Fans are different. GMs are different. Coaches are different. Players are different. Players need to believe they will win every game and go out and try and do so. Coaches need to believe that they're going to put their guys in the best... That their goal every game is, I will put them in the best position to succeed. Regardless of anything else, We I will put them in positions to succeed to win this game. GMs have to think on a longer term basis. Uh, and then fans, we just we just think whatever we want to think. Um, but when you look at these recent games, I mean, five on five, some things are looking okay. Uh, I mean, when we beat the Canucks five three, we did not um, out possess them. We did not out expected goals for them. Now at five on five, according to the natural stat trick with score and venue adjusted, we didn't out possess the the Flames. They they won the Corsi battle 47.95 percent. The expected goals for battle though, they give it to the Blue Jackets at fifty five point one nine percent. Considering all the guys we've had out, that's impressive. Now something we talked about with the the Canucks game, and and I kind of felt it during the Flames game. In, in the Canucks game, having a player like Zach Wierenski, do all the things he did, and then having another quality player like Ryan Murray showed how even when in a game you're out-possessed and the other team out-chances you, when you have your elite talent in place, you can change a game. And I tweeted out shortly after that game, you know, that's the kind of game where you think to yourself, oh, if Cam Atkinson was in the game, or Seth Jones, or Oliver Bjorkstrand, or Josh Anderson, maybe that game looks different. Because one of those guys making one play can change everything. And and when you look at 
I was pulling up hockey viz and looking at the shot maps for that game. When you're looking at even strength and shot locations between the Blue Jackets and the Flames, there is something very obvious. The Flames had a good deal of shots right down Main Street, just right in front of the goalie. If you draw a line from the goalie, from the goal, just straight down the ice to about the mid dots, uh, there's 9, 10, a dozen shots just right in there. Just guys throw, just, just throwing the puck at, net, at the net. When you look at the Blue Jackets at 5-on-5, five five, that's not the case. They did not record a single shot in the blue. And that's horrid. That is awful. It's amazing the team stayed in there as they did. Uh, I know I just said the expected goals number according to one website was good, but this is... The team's not playing the kind of hockey that that Torts talks about when he talks about trying to be in the blue offensively and defensively. Now I know a lot of people are coming out and saying that some of the a lot of this is Torts' fault, and maybe some of it is. But at the same time, something falls on the players that they're not getting in front, and something falls on the idea that you know Cam Atkinson's not in there taking shots, Josh Anderson's not in there taking shots, Oliver Brookstrand, who I. The more numbers I'm seeing, and the more the more I'm analyzing things, I think Oliver Bjorkstrand is is something special. Um, I I came to the idea this week, started having this idea of if you wanted to find out what who was really important to different teams, you would just say, okay, if I told you tomorrow, you can pick four players that will still be on your team next year. Everyone else is going to be gone. You get to start with four. My thought was of Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Pierre Luc Dubois, and of Oliver Bjorkstrand. I think Bjorkstrand is going to turn into one of these high-end wingers who's going to score a ton of goals. And who's and, and I get it, he's getting a little older and some people are thinking maybe not, but I think there's a lot to like about his game. I think he is great. And it stinks that we do not have him the rest of this season because he is the kind of player who, on a borderline team like this, could do something. Now, there has been discussion... This week, um, if you follow things on Twitter, if you follow hockey people, I, I'm sure you've seen it. But there's a lot of attention being drawn to the fact that there are, that the, the, a lot of team schedules are really compressed here near the end. Um, and it's it's really tough um, because it, when you're the Blue Jackets, I mean it's it's some tricky stuff because the Blue Jackets have this really hard schedule down the road as far as playing quality of teams. But the Can- but the, the, the Carolina Hurricanes, when you look at their schedule, every weekend for the rest of the month of March, they play back-to-back, a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back. And I think on all of them, they have to travel in between, which is nuts. I mean, the fact that this is what the NHL schedule is is insanity to me. Now, I don't know what the parameters are in making the schedule. I, I can't imagine, though, this is what you want it to be if you're the league because you want as many players rested and playing well as possible. So the fact that this is what's going on is strange to me. Now, some people might go back and blame it on the bye weeks. Maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, I know that when you're talking about Carolina, because there's NC State basketball, they're not the primary tent. They're not always going to get top billing for their own building. Um, but then teams like the Blue Jackets, they are the primary tent of Nationwide Arena. I'm fairly confident when they give their dates to the NHL, it's... It's not far off from a blank calendar at this point. Um, I mean, that's just 
you you got to think that maybe there's better ways to do this and and I don't know what it would be I don't particularly like uh early in the season we talked about uh, somebody talked about the Jonathan Taves plan which was essentially teams almost playing like a season series when you would do it and it would and and what I mean by that is you know when the like the Blue Jackets they play the Hurricanes they play the Hurricanes I think five times in a season if this was the season where they played them twice you would they would go down to Carolina, they'd play a game, they'd have a day off, they'd play another game, then they'd travel home. Or maybe they'd travel to the next spot and they'd play two or three against the Capitals. The idea being that you play almost like a baseball-style series and then you come home and you have home stands where you have teams coming into your place. And obviously for the one-shot-off games, it would be different. But I think in his view, you didn't have those. I don't know. I don't like that idea because I like the idea of it being mixed up a little bit. Um but I, if you could find better ways to do this so that these players weren't, you know, in the final month of the season doing this. And, and I know it's a trade-off because you have that bye week because you got the three-on-three all-star game. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I You would think maybe the players, maybe they don't, maybe they'd be willing to take a shorter break to try and less compress the schedule. And again, I, I don't know. I think I think there's better ways to do it. I don't know what those are, but I think you can find them. Anyway, a fun note from Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts this week. Uh, he had a, a talk with Yarmo Kekalainen, and, and Yarmo said what what we preach on this show a lot, which is just that the quality of the players in Columbus don't get enough credit, and they don't. Because coming into the season, everyone thought Columbus was going to be a lottery team. And he talked about how, I, I, think, the num- I think he said in the last four years... There's only four teams that have had more wins than the Blue Jackets. Um, and it was like, it's like Tampa Bay, Boston. It's like the big boy, you know, the, what people always consider to be the best teams. And I, I, I agree with him. I think Columbus is, for a team that has been in the playoffs for the last few years and who wins a lot of games, they don't get a lot of respect. And, and part of it is they don't they don't have the sexy market like Nashville does, or if they'd gone to a cup final, maybe that would open up eyes to it. I I think the lack of long playoff runs has kind of hurt that view as well, but Columbus has had great players. We've got a great core. We've got a lot of good players all season long. I've been talking about the, the the backbone, you know, that the bones of this team are strong. And and so I've got a lot of confidence in where this team's getting going forward. But I thought that was, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned that. Um, but the big news out of it is that Cam's the next guy back, which if we can get Cam back, that'd be amazing. Now, it won't be on this trip, which stinks, but that's only two more games. Um, because we, I mean, that's that's Saturday against uh, Edmonton and then Sunday against Vancouver, at which point then we don't play until the following Thursday because, again, the schedule's just ridiculous. And that's when we get Pittsburgh coming to town and then Nashville on Saturday. So if we can get Cam back before Pittsburgh, that'd be great. Please let that be the case. Um, especially right before we go into that, those murderers row the next week of going to Boston, then we get Washington, then we go to Mon- the Toronto. Oh, goodness. Playing the Rangers, the Lightning, the Star. This is just crazy. Anyway. Man, the back-to-back we end this season on Tampa coming to Columbus, and then we go to Carolina. That's crazy. Anyway, um, it, it's just this. It, it's good to see players coming back. And and speaking of a guy who came back, 
we had got Ryan Murray back this week. And first of all, I like watching Ryan Murray play. He's a great player. And I, I think Ryan Murray is so underrated for how good he is. He can drive possession. He can build possession around the team. He's a great passer. He's not going to score a ton of goals, but he's going to start picking up assists. If he can have a full, healthy season, I think the league would be the league's eyes would be opened up to how good a player Ryan Murray is. And the story we got out of the Athletic this week was a really good one. It's it's one of those reasons when you go, hey, this is why I pay for this. It talked about how Ryan Murray, when he came into this injury, he came in with a different. He he's got back issues at this point. Things that are, as he's put it, are just it's not just about hockey anymore. It's going to be about the rest of his life, and he has to work out differently now than different players do. Um, he has to do different types of exercises because of the stresses it puts on on his spine and his back. And so this coming, you know, preseason, the next season, when they're doing the the endurance, the, all the physical training tests, don't expect to see Ryan Murray doing all the same ones that Torts has all the other guys doing. There'll be a specialized training regimen for Ryan Murray. Um, it's it's a lot more building flexibility. Um, I think there's more strength training in terms of like. Uh, just just kind of holding and, and doing different things. Like I think when he does, you know, does the push-ups, it's more, in, instead of it being up and down, it's more about just staying in one spot. It's about trying to not put pressure on that because when he plays a game, you don't necessarily have to put a ton of pressure on the back, but when you do things like squats, you're putting a ton of pressure on your back. And it's trying to minimize the wear and tear on that. And for the Blue Jackets, it would be great to keep Ryan Mary healthy. Honestly, if you can get a healthy season of Ryan Murray, I want a long-term deal for Ryan Murray. He's a good enough player that you want to keep him long-term. It's just the trick of him keeping healthy, and that's that's what's just so hard uh, on that player and what's going what's gonna to happen with him. Now, speaking of defensemen that the Blue Jackets you know, have signed and signed long-term, the Blue Jackets this week signed Jake Christensen to a three-year deal. Uh, Jake is a... He was a uh, a college, or not, he was essentially like a a free agent, but he's still in the minors. Um, I think he's in his his overage year down there. Uh, He's playing for the the Silvertips, the Everett Silvertips this year in the WHL. He's got 20 goals and 27 assists for 47 points in 35 games. It's pretty good for a defenseman. Um, What what Sam Blazer wrote on first, first Ohio Battery that I would have to agree with on it is that he is the re the reason this is a good signing for the Blue Jackets is they don't have a lot of uh they don't have a lot of a lot of depth in the, or they don't have a lot of draft picks coming up this year. They they just don't. And when you don't have a lot of contracts, when you don't have a lot of draft picks coming up, finding ways to stock your farm is important. And this is this is good. This is a good one here. Um, it's a low risk kind of thing because it, it's just you know a minor league contract. It's an entry level deal. If he turns out great. If he doesn't, you know eh, you you, you want to do what you can. I mean you've got a lot of depth at defense in Columbus, but you just got to get your advantages out where you can get them. And that's that's what you really want to see. So that's that's good news to see that uh, kind of an encouragement. Now. One interesting, couple of interesting notes out of the general managers' meetings. They have, uh, they're they're going to make an adjustment to the offsides rule for next year. The adjustment is a relatively simple one, but it's I I like it where 
currently, essentially to be onside, the puck has to pass the blue line. And all of your players essentially can't have fully crossed it yet. So if your guy, if you have a guy crossing, as long as his skate was on the ice and hadn't crossed the blue line fully before the puck, you were fine. Well, they looked at this and realized, okay, we have a lot of goals coming off the board because the guy is a skate up. And the spirit of the rule of offsides, there's two different, in my mind, there's two different goals you get out of it. One is you can kind of prevent guys from just kind of hanging back and, and waiting to get a breakaway. The other is it creates a sense of tension in the offensive zone um, because you have to keep the puck in. Well, what they've changed it to is essentially now when you think of that line, you think of it as a plane that goes up into the air. It's just an imaginary plane that goes straight up. And the idea is now if a guy's skate is up, as long as it hasn't crossed that line fully, he is still, the puck could still be onside. Um, now, the re I like it because it just, it creates more offense and it doesn't change what the spirit of the rule is really meant to do. Now, I've heard some people say, oh, now the next step is just get rid of offside. No, that's a terrible plan. Don't do that. We all watched the the overtime last the other night with Columbus and Calgary. How often, and how often do you notice this when you just watch overtime at all? Does a player like start going in, and then he's like, and then he'll just get like five feet into the into the offensive zone. He'll look, realize things aren't setting up right, and he'll just take the puck back out. If you get rid of offside, if you take away the incentive to essentially gain the zone teams will do that and you will have to find another way to force teams to have a sense of urgency in the offense offensive zone now i get it when you're five on five it'll be different than what you see on three on three but i bet you will still see a similar version of the game guys will start hanging back more because remember folks in in basketball they had to introduce a shot clock for a reason it's because if somebody doesn't see the perfect opportunity, they will wait until they have the opportunity before just handing the ball to somebody else to give them an opportunity. You, When there's a zone to gain, it creates different moments of tension around the ice. And those moments of tension force mistakes and force you to make really good plays. And if you take away the moments of tension, you will have less interesting hockey. So don't get rid of offsides. I know that was a bit of a rant that I wasn't expecting. But if someone tells you, hey, we should get rid of offsides in hockey, you tell them that. You tell them, no, you're getting rid of moments of tension. If you get rid of tension, players will play the game more, oh, just kind of, eh, well, oh, it's not there, okay. Let's go back out to center ice, and let's go back and circle our goalie again, then we'll kind of come in. Oh, it's not there, go back to the goalie. I mean, it'll just be that, I could see games where you have five minutes of just that, and it will be horrid. So I don't want that. Um, other interesting thing, they talked about the emergency backup goaltender. They decided not to make a change. I personally still think that's probably the wrong way to go. I would like to see changes either along the terms of teams having to keep either a third goalie or having to just dress whoever's left. Or one idea some people liked was the idea of you having to have someone on staff who essentially could play goalie but was more like a coach. Um, and had like a, a cap so you couldn't just, you know, the year after a goalie retired, you couldn't go offer him $5 million to be your goalie coach and then send him in from time to time. 
but it's I don't particularly like it that much. They just left it as is, but hey, it, it happens so rarely that I mean it's not that big a deal. I mean you're 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 picking a fight over what? It's it's not that big a deal, but interesting note. Um they've talked about the salary cap going up. The numbers we were seeing was the numbers that they that they that daily told the uh GMs was Expect the cap to go up to 84 to 88.2 million. Now, I've seen some people call BS on this and say, nope, that's not going to happen. Uh, for every reason, from, oh, we've seen this before, to people saying that it's, you know, you could. I've heard some people even go as far as, you know, when you look at Europe and see what's going on with coronavirus there and how there's sporting events where there's just no fans in Italy, there's some people saying, what if that happens here? All of a sudden, revenue drops like a rock because a lot of teams make a ton of profit in the playoffs. I don't think we're going to get that far, hopefully. I mean, I don't know anything about the virus itself, but but I mean, somewhere along those lines. Now, I was looking at the Blue Jackets roster, and what's what we're looking at here um, is that will leave the Blue Jackets, if that's what the cap goes to, they will have between 15.7 to $19.9 million dollars. In cap room. Now, to some of you, you're like, yeah, let's go out and get big time free agents. Well, the good news is the Blue Jackets don't have a single unrestricted free agent at the end of this deal, the end of this this year. The bad news is we have got a world of restricted free agents that, that are going to need your deals. We've got Devin Shore, Pierre Luc Dubois, Ryan McInnes, Kevin Stenland, Jacob Lilia, uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, Gabriel Carlson, Jonas Corposala, Matiskiv Lincolns, Elvis Mers Lincolns, and Josh Anderson. That's what you have to fit into that. Now, in my mind, how this is going to shape up, you're going to sign Jonas, you're going to sign Elvis. Um, th- those are going to happen. Obviously, you're signing Pierre-Luc Dubois to a big-time deal. Um, you're going to sign Vladislav Gavrikov. You're going to sign Gabriel Carlson, I believe. Uh, Stenland, I really hope you'd keep. I think he's really good. Ryan McInnes, maybe. Devin Shore, maybe. Let's see how he goes. I, I like him right now. Jacob Lilia, I'd be fine with all the players letting him go. Although he's coming in off a cheap ELC, so he'd probably be willing to take a relatively cheap uh, deal at this point. Um, the, the thing is going to be spreading that money out amongst these players. Now, there's going to be some other changes. Maybe there'll be trades. Uh, there's an there's there is the possibility that we see a a Josh Anderson trade. I personally am still in the camp of you want to trade you want to sign Josh Anderson long term because it's the problem of the moment you trade Josh Anderson you're looking for a Josh Anderson. Uh, but the 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 thing that I find as to what's going to be the most interesting thing to keep an eye on going forward this season. As far as the big story of the offseason, it's going to be re-signing Josh Anderson, the goalies, and what happens to Brandon Dubinsky. Because there's a couple of ways to go about Brandon Dubinsky. We've talked in the past about, about you know, if you were to uh, buy him out, what would that look like? Would that be worth it? Because, again, we're just down to one year left. And you could theoretically 
give him put him on LTIR next year if he can't come back for that final season. Now the trick with LTIR is you still have to be under the cap when you go into the season. It's just on day one of the season you have to be under the cap and then you can activate LTIR and then you have extra space for the rest of the season. So you wouldn't you really be able to use to sign all these RFAs. Now if you use his money now, if you were to do a buyout of Brandon Dubinsky, if you went to Brandon and said, listen, we all understand what's going on here. This is rough. We can't really, you know, it's just not going to work at this point. And maybe he'd be amenable to it knowing where he's at. But if you buy him out, what it does, the team gets, saves $3.9 million on the cap next season. They would save $3.9 million. Now, it's going to cost you that next season because because it's a buyout. Essentially what happens is you take the remainder of his contract um, and you, I, I forget exactly how you divide it, exactly how that all works. I think it's over twice the length of the deal or something like that. But So it, in the next year, 21-22, you would lose $1.95 million in cap space. So, I mean, your total savings is is 1.95 million against the cap in total um but it, it spreads it out a little bit i mean getting 3.9 in 20 2021 is really good and the next season i mean you wouldn't have his 5.85 million so essentially you're adding him for one extra season for 1.9 so it's a big drop where that's going to be helpful is the reason that may not be a bad idea is when you look at how this team is situated after 2021, if you sign all your RFAs to at least to anything more than a one-year deal, in the 21-22 season, all you have to worry about re-signing is you have Nick Felino's UFA, who I don't know what's going to happen there. That'll be an interesting story. You've got Riley Nash, who's I, I can't imagine re-signing him at this point because of the depth you have in the organization. You have... Ryan Murray and David Savard. I mean, there's Stefan Mateau in there who maybe he blows it up next year and we want to keep him, but Ryan Murray and David Savard, who I'm fully of the opinion that you're only saving one of those two if you're saving either one. Um, so I, I don't, you're not going to be looking at a cap crunch the next year at all, is the big thing. Now, the year after that, things get more complicated because then you're back into Seth Jones contract, which that's going to be just, just a lot of money. Um, but that's further enough down the road at this point that, that the Brandon Minsky deals off the table. So I'm, I'm feeling okay about where we're at there, but you got to make a decision about that Brandon Dubinsky contract. Um, if you get rid of that, I think you have plenty of money to do everything you want to do. So anyway, guys, uh, hoping for the best, by the next time I talk to you, we will have had games in Edmonton and Vancouver. Hopefully, we'll be talking about uh, Cam coming back the next game after that. But thank you for listening, and go Jackets. This has been the Shoot Once Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Shoot Once Pod.